Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, what's up? I'm Pendarvis Harshaw, the host of KQED's Right Nowish podcast. Donations keep independent journalism alive and healthy. And you support outstanding journalism when you support KQED. So if you haven't yet, check out donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. Mic check, check one, check two. Are we here? All right, we're here right now-ish. Hey, what's up, y'all? Welcome to Right Now-ish. I'm your host, Pendarvis Harshaw. Today, we're passing the mic to a group that's doing some tangible work, that's creating change in the streets and in the media. The Hella Black Podcast, hosted by Delincey Parham and Abbas Mutakim, is a show that's focused on movements toward black liberation. Right now, the Hella Black Podcast is running a unique series called Tales of the Town. It's produced by former Right Nowish guest and award-winning filmmaker, Maya Cueva. Over the course of 12 weeks, Tales of the Town is looking back at historic efforts for black liberation in Oakland and diving into current efforts as well. On top of that, they're making sure to note the arts and culture that it has and continues to fuel the movement. There's conversations with the host family members and former members of the Black Panther Party. There's input from historians and culture keepers. And there's interviews with jazz scholars and R&B singers. So this week, we're featuring episode number four from the Tales of the Town series. We'll let Abbas and Delincey take it from here, right after this message. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hi there, I'm Randa Fattah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. My earliest memory of Oakland music is Drew Downs. Oh, no, Hammer. Hammer. I would say Hammer. Hammer is my my earliest memories. Can't touch this. The MC Hammer cartoon. You can't touch this. You can't touch this. You can't touch this. Music has been a part of, you know, Oakland. Oakland life, you know, my entire life. You know, I used to go to drum circles when I was little. You know, I'm from the boombox era, so Cash used to play music loud everywhere. Like, I remember going to the lake every weekend, and you know, people roller skating and playing music. Oakland, it's as gorgeous as, like, the people and the style and the the water and the redwood trees and, like, how clean the air is, but it's also kind of grimy and has a hard edge to it. I sold tapes every day, me and Freddie B. 
Been famous since 1983. Oakland, you know I go way back to Coop Nuts, Falk Stains, and Cadillacs. When homeboys put Oakland's music has always been rebel. All, Oakland music has always been creative. Oakland's music has always been music, especially 7th Street style music. It's always been something that was created in a club, something that was created from people booing you. It's always been created from the heart, from an artistic standpoint. Oakland has so much music history, and I know some of it, but as I've been diving deeper into it, I was shocked at how far back this shit go. Oakland is dumbass small. It's not like New York or Los Angeles. But when it comes to music, you would think it was a major city in terms of the impact the town has had nationally and internationally. And it'd be hell wild, bro, because we both some music heads. And then we is both realizing how so much music history has its roots in Oakland. My introduction to Oakland music was too short. I remember sneaking around and looking at my dad's CD collection, and I see the CD, and the image was a nigga looking like he on some player shit. And I'm like, I gotta play this. I remember waiting for my parents to go to sleep, and I put that thing in my little boombox, and I started playing it. So for me, Too Short's Getting Where You Fit In, that was my first memory. Now you're hardcore like CB4, fighting what you wanna be me for. It's your life. You wish it was a too short rap, but you got no game, and your bass ain't fat. You need to quit. Rapping just ain't When it comes to Oakland music, a memory that sticks out to me was finding one of my dad's old cassette tapes and seeing him look all grimy on the cover. Real 90s street rap. My pops is an artist too, and he still produces to this day. He had a record deal at one point, so a lot of this music culture is in my blood. But one of my best music-related memories growing up had to be going to my first party in middle school. My granny dropped me off, I walked up the apartment building steps, and as soon as I got through the door, boom! instantly getting twerked on. As a teenager, there really was nothing like Oakland house parties. This is Tales of the Town. I'm Abbas Mutakim. And I'm Delincey Parham. Today on the show, if you can't tell already, we talking Oakland music. And I really need all our listeners to understand just how juiced I am for this episode. We were really able to interview some town legends. From Guapale to Tajay of Souls of Mischief and Hieroglyphics, to local heroes like D-Naz and Tim House. There's so much history here that we could dedicate 100 episodes to it. But for now, we broke it up into two. Yo. So turn your volume up and get ready to rock with us on this episode of Tales of the Town. So if you remember, on episode one of Tales of the Town, we talked about the Great Migration and our Southern roots. Our elders, they had a lot of Southern culture that they brought with them too. And once they was in Oakland, they put their own twist on it. Black Southerners have always created, even with the oppression of white supremacy against them. Music was one of the many ways black folks in the South expressed themselves, and many of the genres we all love, like rock and roll and blues, have their roots in the South, and it was black people who created them. <laughs> 
And folks love crediting Elvis as if Chuck Berry, a black man, wasn't the father of rock and roll. It was a teenage wedding and the old folks wished him well. You could see that Pierre did truly love the mademoiselle. And now the young monsieur and madame have rung the chapel bell. Blues, our people invented that genre, despite existing in some of the most horrific conditions of the Jim Crow South. Our ancestors found a way to share their pain in a manner that healed themselves and their community. And in the process of doing this, gave birth to music that has influenced the sounds that we still hear today. And as our southern elders and ancestors fled to Oakland, they also brought their southern music culture with them. West Oakland specifically is where they turned a street nine on a 7th street into a hub for black musicians. We were lucky enough to be able to tap in with Ronnie Stewart, who was the founder of the West Coast Blues Society. 7th Street is uh, known for its entertainment district. 7th Street is referred to by some writers and music colleges, the Harlem of the West Coast. 7th Street was a vital part of black life in Oakland as black folks fled the terrors of the Jim Crow South. 7th Street operated as a black nation within the redlined area of West Oakland. Not only was it a music hub, but it was a vital economic hub for the black community as well. Around the 30s and the 40s, it sort of, because of the war years, uh, it turned into uh, black Mecca. We had a Bank of America, we had a pool room, we had numerous soul food and southern cuisine restaurants. We had a, a doctor's office, dentist's office, attorney office. It was a place to meet, greet. And it was a place where you might find you a new Oakland boo thing. They didn't have online dating then, but uh, you can have your date night. <laughs> you can meet them that night and uh, you can act as if you've been married for 100 years. But anyway. <laughs> 7th Street was a place where black businesses thrived. And it was at the center of the music culture of Oakland. 7th Street was important in a lot of ways. First of all, uh, it was a black community with black businesses. 90% of the businesses were black. The theater was owned by Italians, the Lincoln Theater. But the Lincoln Theater was very important because Slim Jenkins would book artists like Billie Holiday, Cab Calloway, and his club was too small. So he would rent the Lincoln Theater out for the night. And he would have the people come down to the Lincoln Theater to see Billie Holiday and Cap Calloway and Duke Ellington, the big bands. It's hard to imagine now, especially as 7th Street as it once was, has been dilapidated by gentrification. But can you imagine seeing some of the biggest artists at that time right in the middle of West Oakland? The importance of 7th Street is people like B.B. King, T-Bone Walker, Lowell Folson, Etta James, they all, between L.A. and Oakland, cut their teeth. So 7th Street played a big role in how they do their show, how they create their originals. 
If you can't tell by now, Ronnie is gamed up on a lot of 7th Street history. And he even had a story about a young artist performing on 7th Street that was told to him by B.B. King's brother. B.B. King's brother, Billy, told me a story. He said they, was, uh, they were walking into a, a Slim Jenkins and this, little, this, this young girl uh, was running late. So she ran over B.B. King's shoe and she turned around and said, oh, I'm sorry, Mr. King. I'm so sorry. I really didn't mean to. Please forgive me. So she bent down. She was finna like brush his shoes off and he grabbed her by the shoulder. He said, now, you know I know your father, Aretha, Reverend Franklin. It was Aretha Franklin. <laughs> so she was like 16, 17. So when he would be at the Oakland Auditorium, which is known as the Henry J. Kaiser, when he'd be doing revivals, Aretha would come down there to Slim Jenkins and sing and make a little change and go back, you know. So B.B. Um, King, uh, frequently, Aretha Franklin opened up for him at Slim Jenkins. And that just goes to show you the level of entertainment that was at Slim Jenkins. As you can see, some of the biggest and best names of jazz, blues, and rock and roll, they made their way through West Oakland. And although 7th Street is filled with all this deep foundational history, for some reason, it just doesn't get the same recognition as Motown or Harlem for its role in early sound development of these genres and the culture that was created. Ronnie spoke to the originality of the music that was coming out of Oakland. When you hear a band from Oakland, they always had horns. When you hear a band from Chicago, they had harmonicas. When you hear a band from Oakland, they had that, you know. When you hear a band from Chicago, the biggest influx of uh, people that came to uh, Oakland, West Oakland, 7th Street, was Louisiana, Texas, and Oklahoma. The ones from Chicago, they came from mostly Mississippi and Alabama. And so our sound was a mixture of all kinds of sounds. And the mixture of all these sounds Ronnie was talking about, they were perfected inside of venues on 7th Street. It's always been something that was created in a club, something that was created from people booing you. It's always been created from the heart, from an artistic standpoint. And we like to believe that the reason 7th Street isn't getting the recognition of a Motown or Harlem is because the city of Oakland has made little effort to support locals like Ronnie and his West Coast Blues Society group in their fight to preserve and amplify the history of 7th Street. On 7th Street, all they have is the old Esther's Orbit Room marquee and a few Walk of Fame stars. While in Detroit, there's a whole museum for Motown dedicated to the achievements and people that it birthed. And Harlem, despite the gentrification that the area has experienced, you can still see and feel the remnants of its historic music culture. They have the Jazz Museum, and even the legendary Apollo Theater is still up and running. Urban renewal and gentrification, they have almost completely erased Black Oakland's heavy contribution to the music scene. But the historical significance of 7th Street it cannot be understated.
In a previous episode, we talked about the Black Panther Party and its free breakfast program, as well as how COINTELPRO destroyed the Panthers. What we didn't talk about is the Panthers' contribution to soul and funk music and how the Black Panther Party led to an overall cultural shift in music. We sat down with Ricky Vincent, a lecturer at UC Berkeley who has documented how the Black Power movement helped transform soul music. I grew up around the movements in the 70s, and so as I dug into the music, I realized that uh, movements for Black freedom were overlapping with the musical movements. And that led me to explore uh, the cultural production of the Black Panther Party. And that led me to discover that the Black Panther Party, while they always had outdoor festivals and gatherings and demonstrations, and they always used public spaces very well, they also had their own rhythm and blues band. So for those of you who don't know, the Black Panther Party had their own band called the Lumpin'. The Panthers were big on developing revolutionary culture, and music was a huge part of that. Emory Douglas, who was the Minister of Culture, he advocated for the creation of a band to push the party's politics. And in 1970, uh, they put a group together, asked for volunteer uh, musicians, backup musicians, and that was not hard to find back then. It's easy to find black musicians all around the area. Most of these people were recently out of high school, and... Most of the songs they played were songs off the radio. The music was songs off the radio, but then they reinvented the lyrics to represent the revolutionary positions that the party was taking. songs like No More, which was a soulful track with the political call to the end of oppression, and songs like Free Bobby Now, which advocated for co-founder Bobby Seale's freedom. This music was the pulse of the party. It got people engaged and politicized in a way that was natural to them. You didn't have to attend a speech from Bobby Seale to get politicized. All you had to do was throw a record on by the lumpen. The cultural impact of the Panthers went beyond their on-the-ground organizing. The music they made began to impact the entire industry to where you can see a clear shift in what artists were talking about. And so the movement was transforming Black America, period. And Black artists were shedding their conformist sensibilities. And it's symbolized by them shedding the the pressed uniforms and and slacks and, and the formal look that was designed to, you know, incur acceptance from white America. 
The cultural shift that the Panthers created allowed for black artists to be able to make music that reflected the times. So the Black Panthers set a tone in the Bay Area in the late 60s for how to, how to get down, for how to be black, for how to be black and proud, if you will. The Black Panthers weren't really talking that, they were doing that. And people understood it, people felt it. Whether or not they played a note, people understood that Black self-image was changing as Black self-determination was emerging. That wasn't about, you know, um, reactionary race hatred, that type of thing. They were, way, they were well past that. Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, the Black Panther Party very proudly presents The Lumpin'. Just on this history of soul music alone, you can see how influential Oakland has been to music. This revolutionary culture of self-determination that was developed by the Panthers, it laid a strong foundation for future generations of Oakland music. Next Tales of the Town, part two of the music episode. We talk about the cultural impact of artists like Guapale on the youth of Oakland and how artists like Hieroglyphics and Kick the Sneak made a name for themselves. We made the song 91 Till Infinity on some chill shit, like just how we be chilling earlier. It, we didn't actually complete the song. It was just a concept. And so we were like, let's call this one 93 Till Infinity. And then it just grew to let's call the album 93 Till Infinity. I guess one of the strongest songs we've we've created. That's next on Tales of the Town. And one last thing. In addition to the podcast, we've teamed up with artists from all over the Bay Area to produce 11 original songs for the Tales of the Town album. All proceeds from the music go towards supporting people's programs. Here's a preview of Party with the Gang featuring g Easy, Pilo, and Fredo Bags, releasing this Friday. I'm in effect, off flagrant, disrespect, getting sex. Yeah, she's a crook banger. That mean the whole crook banger. She just wanna know what it's like. She just wanna party for a night. Ay. She just wanna try new things. She just wanna, uh. She just wanna party with the gang, party with the gang, party with the gang. Ay. She just wanna party with the gang, party with the gang, party with the gang. Party with the gang. She just wanna party with the gang. Yeah. Say she like the ice up on these chains. Yeah. Throwing ones when we walk in the club, we make it rain. Yeah. VIP with players in the thugs, you with the lane. Yeah. Say she like my vibe, come and throw it back on me. 
Tales of the Town is hosted and executive produced by me, Delincey Parham, and Abbas Mutakin. Our senior producer is Maya Cueva. Fact-checking done by Bashir Mack and Danya Soliman. Mixing and sound design is done by Pat Masidi Miller and Lauren Newsom. The theme song was produced by Cheyenne G and Carrie Lynn, with additional instrumentals from Chef Lee. If you enjoyed Tales of the Town, please give us that five-star review and make sure to subscribe to wherever you get your podcast at. That was Delincey Parham and Abbas Mutakim, host of Tales of the Town, a 12-part series about movements toward black liberation in Oakland over the past 100 years. The Hella Black Podcast social media handles are simply Hella Black Pod, all one word, both on Twitter and Instagram. Marisol Medina Cadena is the producer of Right Nowish. Chris Hambrick is the editor. Seal Muller is our engineer. Rice Stottenborough is our engagement intern. Justin Ebrahimi and Ria Gerwal are the engagement leads. Ethan Tovin Lindsay, Jen Shin, and Holly Kernan are the KQED execs. I'm your host, Pendarvis Harshaw. Keep it lit, y'all. Peace. Right Now Ish is a KQED production. Funding for Right Now Ish comes from Akhenati Foundation, supporting the development of powerful social change movements to eliminate structural racism. Hi, I'm Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.